Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Join us as we dive into this series on Advent, focusing on the impact of Christ's birth and rediscovering the wonder of His salvation. We'll learn together the power of the hope, peace, joy, and love we find in Him. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged. Morning. Oh, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord with all of you this morning. Those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. My name is Matt. I have the wonderful honor and privilege to be the associate pastor here at MBF, where it is our heart to radically love, serve, and encourage. If you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, first off, where you've been, you missed out. Go back, check out the videos, because we are on week three of an incredible sermon series where we have been going through the attributes, um, the traits of Advent. It is Advent season here at MBF. Um, I have absolutely loved hearing about, about peace from Pastor Ryan last week. That was amazing. And the week before, Pastor Jeremy absolutely killed it, uh, talking about hope. Can we give it up for those guys really quick? That was so awesome. I love that. It touched my heart. And this week, um, I am honored to be able to talk about the L word. In this third week of Advent, we're going to be talking about L-O-V-E. We're going to be talking about love, okay? And as I've gotten older and I've gotten to know myself a little bit better, I've gotten a little bit more secure, maybe comfortable, um, I've been able to wade into these waters a little bit more, uh, especially with my wife talking about things like love, things like feelings, because when you're younger, at least the way I came up, those subjects were a little bit more taboo. You don't, us dudes had a hard time talking about feelings. We had a hard time talking about love. And it, it took me some time to get a little bit more comfortable to be able to talk about these things. Um, I think what happened was, um, as we got older, we got to know ourselves a little bit better. Uh, we got to know one another a little bit better. We started um, doing self-study, studying one another, learning our quirks, our ins, our outs. Um, I took some personality assessments, helped me to know um, not just about myself and about my wife, but also things within myself that might be challenges within our relationship so I could kind of skirt around them whenever they became uh, problems. Learn my Enneagram type, any Enneagram heads in the house today? You know, okay, I'm getting applause on that one. That's awesome. Uh, Amber especially loves the Enneagram. Uh, we learned a lot about ourselves through the Enneagram studies. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Google it later. Take the test. We'll talk next week. Uh, I am a four. Um, and for some reason, whenever I tell people that, they're usually like, oh, like how disappointing. I'm so sorry for you. If you don't know what that means, um, we fours, we are, uh, we are known as romantics, hopeless uh, romantics, heavy on the hopeless for me. Um, I'm nostalgic. I'm in tune with my feelings, whether they're positive or negative. I, I'm okay just to kind of dwell in them, um, kind of analyze them. Every little thing reminds me of something else from back in the day, a happy time, maybe a sad time, whatever. Meanwhile, my wife is a seven. So what? What does that mean? That means she is, what is that called? That is the optimist. She is the life of the party. The glass is always, always, always half full, uh, if not just completely overflowing, even when it's not. She doesn't have time to dwell in anything negative. Uh, she didn't have time to, to slow down. Everything is all about the next adventure. Meanwhile, I just want to sit in the feelings 
for a moment sometimes. So that's a challenge. Uh, we've learned about love languages. Um, mine is physical touch, a hug, an encouraging pat. Those mean the world to me. Amber's love language is, seems like it's whatever I'm most efficient in in that moment. Whatever I'm not giving her, that's her love language. No, I'm just kidding. No, really, I, I think it's quality time. She's going to shake her head at me. I don't know. She says, I don't know. Like I said, it's literally whatever I'm most deficient in that time. And, and knowing these things is important. Knowing how to be loved, knowing how to love, knowing how to channel the love of the Father into the world around us is important. Love is an important topic. There's no doubt that um, it isn't one of the top, if not the top subject in which words have been written in human history, right? Um, It has to be the number one subject uh, of songs, of lyrics over the years, right? Um, And here's what I know. Love shapes our lives. Why? Well, when you think about it, like the power of love, the power of love, well, it's a curious thing. It makes, it'll make one man weep and another man sing. It will change your heart to a little white dove. It's more than a feeling. It's the power of love. Hit it. Sing if you know it. What is it? That's the power of love. Like three dudes in the front row. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's all about the power of love. Not going to be doing that in the next service, that's for sure. <laughs> like Huey Lewis and the news, love is a gift. Love is a gift. That type of love we were just singing about or listening to, that is not exactly the type of love we are going to be talking about here today, which seems like is a good thing. In Luke chapter one, world history, as we know it, the Father's love, as we know it, everything changes. Everything radically shifts. And it all starts with a greeting starting in verse 26. Listen to what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. We're gonna come back to that. The Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you in this place. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you uh, for this, the Advent season, an opportunity to reflect and build anticipation to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus, who changed everything. Lord, have your way in this place. Minister to every single heart. um, Penetrate the hearts of the lost, the hurting, the broken, and lead them back to your feet. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. It's the Christmas season, and no doubt you have all received bad gifts before, right? Everybody's gotten that bad gift, 
And many of you may know my cousin. My cousin, his name is Donnie Jones, and he is, um, he is a longtime MBF family member. He's not here now. God called him away to ministry elsewhere. Um, he is serving in local ministry, as he's done for decades now at another local church. But he is the closest thing I have ever had and will ever have to a big brother. We grew up together. I think there's some pictures of us getting up to some shenanigans. you fully grasp what I'm saying here. It's not shenanigans some of the time. It's not even a lot of the time or most of the time. With that dude, it's shenanigans all the time. And we love Christmas time because every single year at Christmas, our families would all come together. Memories would be made. Chaos would ensue. There would, something would be broken, no doubt. Um, people would, there, there'd be, somebody would end up crying, most likely, maybe me. But no doubt, above all else, Donnie would do something crazy. And no one, no one would think it was funnier or laugh harder than Donnie himself. Because he thought he, he still thinks to this day he is hilarious. No one laughs harder at his jokes than he does himself. And one year, he got me. One year, I, I should have known better, but I got got by Big D. It's our annual Dirty Santa gift exchange. If you don't know what that means, that means everybody draws a number and we take turns selecting gifts. And as you go through, people can steal those gifts from you or open another one. And I was early on and I'm sitting near him. He goes, psst, psst, sup? It's like, you definitely want that one. I'm like, what? He's like, trust me. You definitely want that gift right there, motioning to a larger, more nondescript package wrapped up. And I fell for it. And I opened it up. And inside, what do I find but this? A framed photo. time and time again to steal that incredible gift from me, but no one chose to do it. So that's what I walked away with. Whereabouts to this day unknown. Big D, love you, man. Uh, Let's get together soon. Uh, That was the worst gift ever. But hey, we've all gotten bad gifts. And there's more than that when it comes to bad gifts. I I don't just always mean a bad gift is uh, is a framed photo type of bad gift. There's other types of bad gifts too. Sometimes there are these gifts, these gifts that feel more like expectation in festive wrapping paper. This is a kind of really nice gift that when you open it up, it elicits the oohs and the ahs and wow. But the problem is sometimes gifts like that have strings attached. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we get gifts like that that are not gifts at all, but what they become is this, oh shoot, now I owe them type of gift. These are gifts that can be leveraged later against you. These aren't just gifts, but they even become transactions and often manipulative ones. And here in Luke chapter one, it's obvious. Mary has at one point or another received a bad 
gift. She's gotten a bad gift before too, and you can tell from her response in verse 29 when she says this. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the same, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What's going on here? Life and experiences teach us to expect a catch sometimes. We often feel like we're waiting for our luck to run out. We feel like at some point the check is going to come and we're not going to be able to pay it. We feel the burdens of expectations in life, and most of the time we feel like we can barely keep up. And then what do we do? Because we're experiencing it firsthand, we do the same thing to other people. We have, it has this trickle-down effect in life. And this is life in the transaction. Everything can become a transaction if we're not careful. Mary tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's important to understand what's happening here. What Mary is experiencing here isn't doubt. It isn't even hesitancy. Remember, Mary has a distinct disadvantage to us. Mary did not have the benefit of the New Testament. Mary did not know how her story is going to unfold. So she's operating here solely on faith, monumental, incredible, life-shaping faith alone. What she's grappling with here is fear of the unknown, but she doesn't let let it paralyze her. And that's the important thing because fear so often does just that. It paralyzes us, it stops us dead in our tracks. Mary understands something very important, something that we need a reminder of oftentimes, and this is detailed in 1 John chapter four. Here we get a roadmap for navigating these types of circumstances in our life, and listen to what it says. So we have come to know and to believe the love, of God, the love that God has for us. God is love. Let me say that again. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The love that's lavished upon Mary here absolutely extinguishes, casts out that fear that can so often paralyze us and immobilize us. It's so often that the fear in our life stops us from walking into the calling that God has on our lives. The same thing could have happened so easily to Mary here, right here. Mary is presented with the same scenario that every single one of us are faced with day by day. We have a choice. Mary had a choice every day. We choose fear-based decisions or love-based life. It's one or the other. Will we operate in love, the love of God and everything that entails, or will we stay frozen in fear and let let it hold us back? You can almost read between the lines here in Luke. it's, It's like Mary is wondering to herself, what kind of gift is this exactly? What do you want from me? What am I missing in this all-too-good-to-be-true scenario? But she chooses to be guided 
by love and not fear. God's love is different, y'all. God's love is different. He reminds us along with Mary in the very next verse that with him, there is no catch. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God, which brings us to our first point today, something that's so important for you to understand. Our first point today says this, with God's love, there is no catch. It sounds too good to be true, but it's one of the only things in this life that isn't. It's not too good to be true. There is no catch with God's love. Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. The irony here. Remember what I said a minute ago? The favored one. It's funny. The favored one needs reminding that she has favor with God right here. We all need that reminding sometimes though, right? We are told time and time again in the Bible, the love he has for us, the plans he has for us, the purposes he has for us, and yet we still need those reminders, just like Mary did. Because we aren't always accustomed to receiving the type of love that God has. Why? Because it doesn't exist anywhere else. We can't experience it anywhere else. The type of love that God has for us is unlike anything known to man. So why would we be accustomed to receiving it and not calling it to question sometimes? In 1960, C.S. Lewis wrote a book. C.S. Lewis is a renowned theologian, author. He wrote this book called The Four Loves that described the four loves shown in the Bible. The first three are affection, friendship, and romantic love. Affection, or storge, covers a wide range of loves. It refers to the way a mother loves a child, the way a child loves a puppy. Um, it can coexist with other loves because uh, affection is humble. It is even subtle. It can be tied to experiences shared. It can be there under the surface without you even knowing it exists. And it's only revealed to you unexpectedly in surprising circumstances. The second type of love outlined here is, uh, is friendship or philia. Philia. Friendship is, according to Lewis, the love dismissed. It's the love dismissed. And remember, this was written in 1960. In the ancient world, friendship was known as the happiest and the most human of all the loves. What happened? It was called the crown of life, the school of virtue. Now, now, it is considered the most time-consuming, the least celebrated, the one that most believed they could live without. Friendship takes a back burner compared to the others in the lives of so many, more and more in the hustle and bustle of this busy life. Again, written in 1960. Have things gotten better? I don't think so. So few people properly value friendship love because so few people experience it. That's sad to think about. I gotta be honest, my findings on friendship love kind of broke my heart. This isn't really, I just thought this was gonna be a portion, but I felt like this was kind of, kind of, uh, kind of shook me, you know? What I uncovered, it broke my heart. When I look, when looked at with a consumer mindset, friendship love 
which is how we approach so many of life's interactions, transactions, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, because that's how we've all been programmed. Friendship love is viewed as not having the same level of productivity, their words, not mine, as the other loves. And it's sad. It's really sad because Lewis says, friendship love is the love most like what we will experience in heaven because it's gonna be intertwined with relationships. Because friendship builds a kinship, a connection over something. Friendship is important. Friendship is important. Friendship loves have developed entire schools of thought. Friendship loves have made major contributions in areas from art to business. Don't neglect friendship love in your life. It's important. It's important. The third type of love is romantic love or eros. Romantic love, unlike friendship, is always focused on talking about the relationship, talking about their love, talking face to face, experiencing the love together. Feelings, feelings, feelings. This love can manifest itself more intensely than the other loves, but it's also the most fleeting. Maybe that's not the right word. It's also the most fickle or finicky. The danger of romantic love is running blindly and relentlessly after passion. And then when that feeling fades, the belief comes into play that that love is gone. Sound familiar? This is one of the biggest problems in marriages today. True romance is not fickle. Let me say that again. True romance is not fickle. Those feelings of burning passion, young people, they fade, but they develop into something new, something powerful, something deeper, something incredible that surpasses those feelings. We are taught through Jesus' example on how he loves his bride, the church. When things get tough, even when we are at our most lovable, what does Jesus do? He holds on. When we are pushing him away, what does he do? He presses in. That is the example of what romantic love is to look like. This is in direct contradiction to the phony example put it forth by culture. It is important that like Christ to his church, we hold more deeply, more strongly, more passionately, more relentlessly to our spouse as the model of the fourth and final love. The fourth and final love is known as charity love or agape. Maybe that's not what you're expecting me to say. Agape or charity love goes by a lot of different names, has a lot of different phrasing. We're going to get to some of those here in a second, but they all mean the same thing. This is our chief aim. This is our goal. This is what we are aiming for. All of the other loves are a, are a training ground, preparing our hearts for this type of love. That is why this type of love is also known as gift love. The three other types of love are a training ground for gift love. Gift love is unconditional. It cannot be earned or unearned. Sometimes when we think of unconditional love, we think it cannot be unearned, but it's important to understand that unconditional love can neither be earned 
nor unearned. So it is the opposite of transaction, like we were talking about a moment ago. Gift love is the kind of love that neither expects nor requires reciprocation. There is no expectation placed on unconditional gift love. It is entirely and completely dependent on the giver. It is with this kind of love the receiver has only to receive. They don't have to do anything else. When I think of the best human example for this, it goes back to, well, the greatest person I know, my wife. I think about this unconditional love. It can't be earned or unearned. And she always has shown this with our children when they're sick. Rather than keep them at a distance, they come scuttling to our beds in the, in the twilight hours. Mommy, that's when they're littler. My, my tummy hurts. I feel like I'm going to throw up. What does she do? She invites him into our bed. I'm not quite there, real talk, but that's what she does. And I remember, like, they've got a cold, whatever. She, she puts herself in, in harm's way to give them comfort and support. And one time I remember in particular, I, like I say, I was never on board with these. And I think in later years, she started just going and getting in their beds with them. But one time she invited Carson into our bed. And he's like, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. So the idea that she said, get into bed with us, I was like, what? Are you crazy? And you would think I would get tired of being right. Because... Mere minutes later, it's the middle of the night, I'm falling back asleep, and I go from rim sleeping to completely upright standing awake in my bedroom in the dark because of this horrible noise that's happening behind me. It is a rumble, then a gurgle, and then there's some uh, liquidy sounds. I won't give you, I was going to give you more detail than that, but I was like, ah, come on. I think I get tired of being right. But she knew that that was a possibility, and she still showed her love, her comfort, her support anyway. That is one of the best examples of unconditional love that I can think of. I don't feel like there's any human love greater than cleaning up someone else's puke. Can I get a good amen? But that pales in comparison to the love of the Father that he has for us. There is no love greater than the love of the Father. Agape, gift, love, is the love given to the sheep by the shepherd. It's a sacrificial love. It is a devoted love. It is the kind of love that God has for us. And it's the only fitting response to the kind of love. Um, and the only fitting response to that kind of love is an actively passive response. There's nothing we can do but to receive. We have a posture within our hearts of reception. It is, not, uh, it is not a matter of saying, I'm going to make this happen. It's a matter of saying, I am prepared to let this happen. Look what Mary says in the very next verse, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that beautiful? Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. I don't know what comes next, but I don't care because the love you have shown me, the love you have given me, the favor you've given me, my feelings for you say, I'm prepared 
to let it wash over me. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary gives herself to God, not out of compulsion, not out of duty, not out of strain, but out of love. Mary gives herself to God out of love. It is that gift of love that God produces in Mary. It's humble. It's sacrificial. And this is the most contested point for all of us transaction-loving folks, i.e. everyone. But the truth is, point two, gift love is generative. Gift love is generative. It's generative. What does that mean? That, that means when you experience it, it generates something inside of you that doesn't otherwise exist. Gift love is gener- generative. It generates um, it generates that unconditional, sacrificial, agape love within us. And when that takes place, then we are then prepared to pour it back out into the world around us. Gift love produces spontaneously and from the heart that which transaction love, with all of its session over tit for tat, this for that, can only ever fake. Transaction love cannot produce love within us. Only gift love can. If you don't believe me, here's what Mary's response is to the gift love of God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary uses nine different times a form of he has done this. Nine different times. It's all about him. It's all about what he has done. She's elevating his name because it was generated within her. The love the father poured out onto her, she was able to give back to him because it now existed in her heart. When you're dealing with, with the God of gift love, you can't help but notice the ways that he loves. You can't help but praise. You can't help but love him. It's Christmas. This Christmas, we should remember that God's love is a gift love. It's only ever gift love. There's never conditions. There's never requirements. There's never standards that you have to strive for that will cause him to take that love away. The love that we can never earn or unearn, it's a love that we can only receive by actively being passive. All we are to do is let it wash over us. Let it happen. The gift love of God is already wrapped under the tree in a package with your name on it. It's yours. The gift love of the Father is yours today. This gift can generate love in the heart 
of bitterness. It can generate healing in a heart of brokenness. It can generate peace in a heart of anxiety, and it can generate strength in a heart of the defeated. The greatest gift God the Father ever gave mankind is ours today. Let me make that more personal. The greatest gift God ever gave to us is yours today. It's yours. And if you haven't already done it, friend, it's time to receive it. It's time to receive it. And maybe you're sitting there thinking today, but Pastor Matt, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know about who I've hurt. You don't understand the unforgivable mistakes I've made. And you're right. I don't. But here's what I know. Four, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but God shows his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for that version of us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled or restored with, we were restored with God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. That's what I know. That's what Romans 5, 6 through 11 tells me. That's a word for you. That's a word for you. That's a word for somebody in here today. His love, it's like a tidal wave. It's coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You can fight it. but it's better just to let it wash over you. Let it consume you. It's time to stop running from his love. It's time to come home. And if I'm talking to you today, I want to give you that opportunity. And here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to say a prayer together as a body of believers. And if you're saying that prayer today for the very first time, or you're in a place where you say, I have spent far too long running from the life God has for me. I'm sick of it. I'm ready to stop running. If you mean it in your heart, today you can be restored to him. So what I'd like to invite everybody to do right now is if you would bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around. And as a body of believers, please repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for your love. I have many sins, but I know you forgive them all. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. 
And I believe the blood that you shed washed away all my sins. Come be the Lord of my life. I give it all to you. With every head still bowed, nobody looking around. If you said that prayer today for the very first time, you meant it in your heart, or you're ready to rededicate your life to him, I want to invite you to do something powerful. I want to invite you to do something significant. In just a second, I want to invite you to raise your hand. I want you to do that for two reasons. One, I want you to be as proud in this moment as your father is in heaven as he looks down upon you. And number two, I want to have that visual, just me and you, so I can be praying for you this week. So if you would, on the count of three, I want to see hands up in this place. Number one, don't be afraid. Two, your father and I are so proud of you. And three, get your hands up in this place. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Can we celebrate church? There's nothing you can do to earn or unearn his love. It's yours. Let it wash over you here today. In this season, let it wash over you. In just a second, we're gonna have someone come out and and, uh, share some announcements. If you raise your hand today for the very first time, for accepting Jesus or rededicating your life, I want you to do something. In the seat back in front of you, there's a connection card. There is a box that says, I have accepted Jesus or rededicated uh, my life to him. Let us know. We want to touch base with you. We want to give you some next steps. We want to encourage you because this is monumental and it's not the end of anything. This is only the beginning. Church, I love you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week. And remember, we are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.